curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Have you ever been frustrated by something and didn't feel like you had a real way out of the situation? I think many of us oftentimes will be presented with challenges, and unless you're just incredibly adept at coming up with answers to complex problems, it can feel like a trap. It can be really difficult to try to imagine your way out of a problem when you're faced with a situation that you've never encountered before. And guys like Dr. Wayne Baker are the perfect example of when you find someone who's an expert, they can break down very complex and difficult concepts into really easy things to understand. I wanted to bring Dr. Baker on to talk about the things that are holding many of us back when it comes to achieving the real success that we're trying to seek and how it oftentimes breaks down into just not being capable or willing to ask for the things that you really need in order to get yourself out of the situations that you're in when you are faced with a challenge or some other problem that's keeping you from getting exactly where you want to go. Dr. Baker has written a lot about this topic and his recent book, All You Have to Do is Ask, is a great example of something that you can pick up and very easily read and learn how to solve problems for yourself in ways that maybe you hadn't imagined before. I was really excited to bring him onto the show and have him spend some time talking to us about the concepts behind that which frames the book and some of the exercises and infographics and information that he's been able to put together and put out there for you to be able to find to help you on your journey to success. Selling is difficult these days, maybe more so now than ever, and there's a lot of importance and information out there that is really important for you to learn about how to ask for what you need. So... Give this one a listen. I thought it was really interesting, and I hope that you find some value in it. I very, very, very much appreciate you being willing to take the time to have this conversation with me. You know, having come, I'm coming up on my hundredth episode, and what I think I've learned in that time is many times the topic and the presenter are timely based on a number of topical things that may be happening 
as a result of what's going on societally. And I would say in what you and I are witnessing from a socioeconomic perspective, from a people's feeling like they want to speak their minds in ways that perhaps are somewhat divisive, you know, this be our ability to be able to focus on the positive right now to me is as important to my own mental health as it is for the people who may uh, happen across our episode. So I'm really grateful for you for coming on and talking with us today. Well, thanks, Roger. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, no, really, no matter where you're looking, it seems like almost every day you're seeing what I'd call another hard land, hard line in the sand being drawn where people are expressing, you know, a very, it's either a black or white viewpoint and forcing others around them to have to make a choice on what, which side of that line that they stand. And yet on the flip of that, you see these amazing stories of compassion and empathy and people doing things for one another that really are a representation of the kind of humanity that I think you and I are looking for in our own, in our own work. So, you know, you've focused so much of your time and attention on generosity, but in the research, I think you've kind of revealed that maybe it's not generosity that's in short supply. So I wanted to start off by letting you talk about what it was that your research revealed. Well, about 21 years ago, uh, Cheryl Baker and I created an activity called the Reciprocity Ring. And there's a very particular way of doing it. And we train people to run the activity, but it'll sound really simple. Essentially, people get an opportunity to make a request to a group for something they need. And we have criteria for a well-formulated request, how you could figure out a good request and so forth. But they spend most of the time helping other people. And they find that a lot of the times the people they help are not the people <clears throat> who help them. And I used to start this uh, exercise the same way, which was a little lecture about the importance of being generous, of being a giver, of helping people, being unselfish. But you know, Roger, what I found early on was that that was rarely the problem when people heard a request, it was amazing the generosity that was displayed. Everyone got help in this activity. To my surprise, I discovered that almost everyone struggled with making a request. They struggled with the ask. And I was really surprised by this, but you know, um, I'm always persuaded by the data and the evidence. Um, you know, it wouldn't have been my opinion that that would have been the problem, but I just saw this again and again and again. I started doing some research on it about what are the barriers that get in the way. And there's a lot of very you know, well-documented scientific facts about the reasons why it's hard to ask. As I said, you know, I really got to shift and focus on you know, the way that you release generosity is getting people to ask for what they need in an effective and powerful and, and positive way. And you even went so far as to, to map where there, there's sort of a, you know, if, if you were to create it as a graph, which I've had the good fortune to sort of see how you've mapped this thing out, but th there's a d distinct sort of line between the generosity opportunity and where people will map out in their willingness to ask. And I, I found that piece of it really fascinating. So you want to talk about that just a little bit about how that mapped out? Yeah. So when I was writing my latest book, my publisher said, um, you know, it'd be great if you put an assessment in the book. And the book is about uh, generosity, about asking. It's really focusing on asking as the catalyst um, and gives tools to individuals and teams and organizations. Um, but she said, it'd be great if you could have an assessment. So I enlisted Hillary Hendricks, one of our PhD students. Um, if, and I asked her if she would 
I asked her, I made a request <laughs> if she would, uh, you know, work on this project with me. And we developed and tested an assessment uh, that it only takes about three or four minutes to do, as you know, uh, but it's a scientific way of figuring out your propensity to ask and your propensity to give. I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but I knew people had trouble asking. So I thought there might be a, a, a pattern that would show up. But as you know, it shows up really strongly is that when you graph this, and we've had thousands of people of now, and we can plot all the people on a big two-dimensional grid where asking is the you know one dimension and the other is, is uh, giving or helping. And what we find is that the large majority of people are in the category that I call the overly generous giver. Now that sounds a little suspect. Is it possible to be too generous? And the fact is it is. You know, generosity is a virtue. Uh, I think as humans, we have a responsibility to help people in need, but it is possible to go too far when you get burned out, um, when you squander your resources, when you aren't able to follow through on your commitments, then you have to put some boundaries around it. And you also have to balance it out by making requests yourself. And I've even witnessed this myself. I, th I think for those of us who have that predisposition to generosity, the expectation is the reciprocity will be given. It's a given. And boy, is that just not true. And many people experience just tremendous disappointment over this, I've given and I've given and I've given again, and yet I have never really gotten anything tangible or meaningful for myself in return. And it's for this exact reason, it's the lack of ask that you can't just expect that because you've demonstrated generosity, that people will immediately understand what it is that your ask may be. And I think that's, it's, it's kind of in that moment of, well, I expect intuitively that you're going to know what my ask might be by the nature of your participation with me. When in reality, that's sort of where the major sticking point is, is it not? You know, it, it really is. And I've seen a lot of people in that same situation where they're very generous. They don't see it coming back and they'll say that there's a lack of reciprocity. Other people aren't so generous. But what they find is that the other people are not, they're not telepathic. They can't read your mind. They don't know what you need. They may be really willing to help. And if you've helped them, most people are willing to, to return the favor but they don't know what you need until you ask. And if you're not asking, they'll assume you don't need anything, right. right? So it really comes down to the request or the ask as a catalyst that drives the whole process. Yeah, and you've even gone so far in the book as to outline a list, eight, eight, seven, eight reasons why people won't ask for help. And I wanna, I wanna frame that now within the context of COVID and the pandemic, right? So the need for help, I think, has been exacerbated, obviously. I mean, we're stating the obvious there, but yet the duress that's been created, I think, creates even an additional barrier for people to feel willing to ask. So what examples have you seen where I, you know, either I'm incredibly right about that or I'm incredibly wrong? So what have been some of the things that you've seen on either side of that? Yeah, the need for help and assistance is probably greater in this past year than, it, than it's ever been. And yet I found that often people are not reaching out and asking. One is that you don't have the natural opportunities that we had before, like bumping into somebody when you're getting coffee or in running into the hallway or if you're on a job site running into people. So we're not having those natural encounters that we, that we have on a regular basis, which can lead to a conversation, which can lead to somebody asking for something that they need. So those are absent. 
what I'm finding is that people are not reaching out other ways, either by phone or email or by Zoom, um, because they figure, you know, other people are suffering and they don't need my burden to. Uh, other people or other people seem to be doing fine when I see their faces on the Zoom call. I, and sometimes I've seen another barrier is a, um, an assumption that we, we just have to be positive through all this, right? And it's kind of a paradox where, yes, we do want to be positive. We want to focus on kindness. We want to focus on generosity. We want to focus on those bright moments, but we can't den deny reality, right? We have to do both. And so like early on, I wrote an article after I was in a lot of really bad Zoom meetings of all different sites, some in, you know, personal ones or community ones or ones related to my church or school or administration. There's a whole bunch of them. And I came up with 10 guidelines uh, to an effective Zoom meeting. And I published this in Psychology Today. But one of them was uh, acknowledge reality. Because if we don't acknowledge reality, it's, it's, it's almost as if people become divided and it's like, okay, there's, there's a dangerous reality out there, but I'm, but we're not, we're going to pretend like it's not there. And we're just going to have business as usual. And in that context, it's pretty hard to ask because you, okay, I'm supposed to be positive. I'm not supposed to say I'm feeling depressed or down or anxious or scared. Right. So one way that we have found at the center for positive organizations is that if we um, break people up into much smaller groups, like three, four, at most five, and give them prompts, then people are more likely to, in that smaller, safer setting with prompts, more likely to, to ask for help and to admit that they need help. While many people might be just thinking about this in the context of our conversation for the first or the second or maybe the third time, haven't really spent a tremendous amount of brain power on the idea, certainly we've all felt the, the notion of, oh, I can't ask that of anyone at this moment. Everyone else is faced with all of these incredible burdens. Why would anyone really be interested in trying to help me along the way? And one of the things that I think that we all forget is if I'm struggling, but I have something to give, maybe that's the thing that makes me feel better about my own problem in this moment by being able to take some of what I have available and share that with folks who might really need it. And what I get back in return from that is a lot of self-gratification, knowing that I, in my own ability, was able to help someone along their journey in whatever struggle that they may, might be going through. But if I'm robbed of that opportunity, then really both sides of that equation lose because they don't get what they could use and I don't get to give it to them and get the gratification that comes along with that. So by being able to take that little bit extra step and go that one step further to say, you know, let, let me at least state what it is that I need and find out if there's someone out there in that universe that might be able to do that for us. And you give some really great examples of what, where we're in the same four walls of an organization. There's opportunities for a need to be met in ways that people don't even realize because they hadn't made that ask, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's just it, astonishing to think. If you use some uh, group routines, you can really make this work and it works face-to-face -face or in Zoom. I'll give you a really uh, quick example. One of my favorite ones is the, the daily stand-up, and it doesn't have to be done every day, but often it's done every day. Um, and it was very popular in IT and software development where the developers would all get up in a big circle and they'd quickly go through and they have to address three points. Here's what I worked on yesterday here's what I'm working on today, and here's what I need. And so that third one normalizes asking. It's an expectation 
to ask and to not ask means you're not following the rules of the game and you're letting the group down. Right. And so they just go around. And so, so everyone gets to make a request and they follow up later on with the, the help. And what we found that that works very effectively in zoom as well, you know, but the reason it works is that the rules of the game specify that you have to make a request. Roger, we put you in a group of 20 people and say, all right, you got to come up with a request and we're not going to, we're not going to ask anything, but everyone's looking at you on zoom, right? It's really uncomfortable, really hard to do that. You know, but if you know that everyone, we're going to cycle through and everyone's going to do it, uh, it's a lot easier. Yeah. I wrote a piece uh, last month about some of the challenges that we're witnessing being in sales have to do with oftentimes a client or a prospect has a barrier towards moving whatever it is you're working on with he or she towards its next logical step. And oftentimes whatever barrier that is that needs to be communicated won't be communicated until I've had the chance to be intimate with you in, in a personal setting, in a way that maybe is in a quiet corner where I can share something with you that it's not in writing. So you can't share it with anyone else and attribute it to me. It's done in a way that I'm, I'm giving you information that will allow you as the salesperson to go off and come back with something of value that's going to help eliminate that barrier for me. And because we don't have those opportunities in the way that we used to have them, what it's done is it's extended the intervals between decision-making in what is a multi-step process to the point where it's almost unbearable. Mm. And we can't, as the seller, knock that barrier down because this environment has afforded the person on the other side of the transaction, a multitude of places to hide. And because we don't get those moments personally, and you want to mess up a good relationship, put distance and time between people. Mm -hmm. And this is what this is really creating for us is we, we don't have the time to have the intimacy and the intervals between our connections have grown just excruciatingly long. So the piece was called the waiting is the hardest part. <laughs> And we have to be smart about the ways that we're able to knock some of those barriers down because it's not impossible. But what I've at least come to recognize is there are activities that we need to do in different ways. And one of the most important pieces of that is having a healthy eye towards where is the level of trust that you have with that person at this moment in time based on the importance of the decision that's about to be made. Because... I'm guessing that you had the same situation as me at some stage in the pandemic where someone who had a weak relationship with you from a trust perspective tried to sell you something. And in that moment, that went from what could have been an intrusive but forgivable process to something that will trigger hostility on the part of the other person. Hostility to the point where it's not just a black eye for you, it could be a black mark that you absolutely cannot eliminate. And it's so creating these opportunities to, to afford ourselves ways to knock down these barriers to me have been where we've really focused a lot of our attention and activity and trying to figure that out. But, you know, we really only focused on during the pandemic from a pure sales perspective, we would only ask buying decision-making questions of the people that we felt we had the highest, most utmost level of trust in that particular moment, because anything other than that was just, it was just ripe for something to go wrong. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I've really, uh, I've experienced that through LinkedIn. 
um, during the pandemic in the, and I get a lot of requests that then to connect and, you know, and I'll, I'll connect with most people, you know, some professional somewhere, sure. You know, and the ones who make a, a, a request too quickly fall in the one or two categories. One are financial advisors. Um, and then the other one are people want to help promote uh, my new book. Ah. Right? Do a trailer, do this, you know, do a landing page, whatever it's going to be, that kind of stuff. But, you know, one thing I've done is that I have, as long as I have time, I still, I will respond because I realize they're just trying to make a living, you know, so it's, and I might say, you know, this is a little bit too early to ask this or what my usual response is, sounds like a great idea. Not for me at this point, if that changes, I will be in touch with you because I now have your information, right? You are far too polite of a Michigander, and that is why we are always lauded as being polite Midwesterners, because in many times we won't be as hostile as other folks may be in a similar situation. But, you know, you, uh, you spoke about the book. So, you know, we've talked about this uh, assessment that you have created. You've written a beautiful book about framing up the ways to ask. You know, you're obviously very asset, tangible asset driven. And it's really refreshing to see that it's not just theory, it's actual tangible, practical things that can be applied. So talks beyond those two, talk, talk, talk about some of the asset library that you've created and what some of the values of those assets might be for someone who might be interested. Well, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of research on generosity and reciprocity. And I, I used to think that motivating people would be enough. What I found was that that was half of it. The other half, people would say, okay, I'm really motivated, but what do I do? I need, I need tools. What do I do? And so the book is a toolbox of tools uh, for the individual, for the member of a team or a team leader, or for an entire organization. The, that's kind of the, the arc of the whole book, but it's very much oriented to how, how do you actually do this at those different levels? And along the way, I've created a lot of assets. So one is the, the assessment that it's in the book. Um, but there is a free digital version on the website for the book. And if you take that one, uh, you also get a really nice customized report that will compare your results against uh, the population of assessment takers. So you really kind of see, are you high on this, low on this, relative to this population? So it can be very insightful. Uh, another asset is a learning map or an infographic uh, that shows a journey. And it's a journey starting out and then going up the mountain to get past the obstacles and coming down the mountain and all of that. Uh, very colorful. I, you've seen that. That's a free download. And I encourage people to, I want people, I designed it to be free, download it, share it as widely as you want. Um, and then there are a whole bunch of articles and podcasts um, that are free to listen to or to download it and to read as well. Yeah, really, really good stuff. And I will make sure to post as much of that in link form in the show notes so that people have the opportunity to link right out to those as opposed to having to go and try to find those on their own. So I always like to give the opportunity for uh, my interview subject to, I know you've got a really great hot example of sort of a recent story that you've come across that is somebody overcoming a hurdle in their ability to ask and then something really amazing happening in the process. Do you have one you want to share? Wow, you know, I I have so many that I've that I've learned, but the I'd, I'd say the one that was the most meaningful to me was involved um, a little girl who was 18 months old and lived in Romania, and um, her parents discovered 
around 18 months that it looked like her head wasn't developing properly. And she had a condition called craniosynostosis. You know, the, the human skull is made up of multiple bones and they're joined by these fibrous sutures. And that allows the skull to expand when the brain and the head grows. And if they fuse prematurely, the head can't expand. And you can imagine nothing good, from, terrible things, including death can come from it. Um, her aunt, who lived in France, of course, knew about her niece and this condition. The chances of finding a specialist who could fix it in Romania were remote. Um, so her aunt Felicia was using some of the tools I write about in the book and made a request on behalf of her little niece and said, look, I need a referral to you know, a specialist, a surgeon who knows how to remedy this problem. It's really rare, but it can be remedied by a specialist. Well, to make a long story short, she made that request, a very meaningful request. The little girl and her family flew to France. She had the surgery. It was a complete success. And I have a picture of her on my uh, bookshelf over here as a reminder that you never know what's possible until you ask. Yeah. And certainly someone, a cynic might say, well, those were really dire circumstances. That person had an obvious, you know, time sensitive need. So they were willing and motivated to make that request of as many people as possible. But the, the, the real catch here is to think that that really would work for something much less important if you were adopting the same mindset and philosophy around, it's okay to ask. And amazing things can happen if you simply are able to do so. And even for myself in my own professional career and what's led up to social good promotions has largely been driven by just that and being able to have the vulnerability and the humility to be able to admit that you don't have the answers to things that you need answers to and being willing to accept and being gracious enough to accept the information that you might get in return, even if it isn't necessarily the answer to the question that you seek. It's being willing to accept that other people are going to try to give you that help, even if it's not exactly the thing that you're looking for. Yeah, so, even, even the offer itself is, is a gift. It's like, you know, if you ask somebody for help and what they give you is something that something maybe you already knew, or you don't think it's exactly what you want. The only appropriate response is a gracious thank you, an expression of gratitude because they offered to help you, right? That itself is a gift. Yeah. And so that, which kind of leads me to the last topic that I wanted to cover. So there's an entire organization built around this idea of people wanting to be able to give to one another and receive from one another in a, in a very meaningful way. It's called the Center for Positive Organizations. You've had a tremendous amount of input in the formation and the growth of that organization. I wanted to give you this opportunity to speak on it. There's going to be an event coming up next month that I'm hoping that I'll have this out in time for people to be able to participate. So I wanted to give you this last segment to really talk about CPO, uh, broad strokes, and then maybe some of the specifics about the event that will be coming up. Yeah, so next year is gonna be our 20th anniversary of the creation of the Center for Positive Organizations at, at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. And our mission is to promote the science and practice of thriving organizations. So a thriving organization would be a workplace in which people are using their strengths. They enjoy coming to work. They feel like they're making a meaningful contribution. People are generous with one another, freely asking for what they need um, and giving to one another. And a thriving organization produces really great results. Financial, of course, 
but also in terms of engagement, customer satisfaction, uh, positive impact on the world. And so in the small and in the big, we try to do the research uh, to understand what makes a thriving organization or a thriving workplace or a thriving team, and then to develop tools uh, that enable people to do that. So my book is very much in, the, in that stream of research of the tools based on the research that we do. Um, and we serve three audiences. Uh, one, we serve students, of course, because we teach uh, what, we, what, we, uh, what we've learned about. I teach all of my MBA classes from our perspective. Um, we support researchers who wanna continue to push the cutting edge of research on the science of thriving organizations. Um, and then we have a business consortium, um, 50, 55 organizations, small, medium, and large of like-minded leaders who want to learn how to uh, build a thriving organization. And we are going to get together in mid-April to have a conversation over the course of a couple of days and really examine the ways that your research and the rest of the organization's research is bringing together what we're learning in what is maybe the most interesting time in my adult life. And I'm sure for many other people who might want to participate, you know, it will be, it's one thing to go to an educational conference. We've all, you know, have varying degrees of appetite for that. But in this particular moment with what we're witnessing going on in the world and knowing that the organization's sole objective is thriving in a positive environment, I think it's going to make for a really, really interesting couple of days. And I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thank you. I am as well. So that's, that's the show. Thanks so much for joining us. And I'm, as always, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak to you, Wayne. It was really enjoyable. Well, thanks, Roger. You're, um, I really enjoy the conversation. You're a very effective um, interviewer because it's, it is the give and take of a real conversation rather than questions, answer, questions, answer. Well, there you have it. What an incredible interview. It's often been said that when you are truly an expert in that which you know, you're able to make really complex concepts be very simple to understand to the layperson. I think Dr. Baker is a classic example of someone who's capable of being able to explain things like how it, it is difficult for us to be able to ask for the things that we really want and need in the kind of way that people can easily understand. And I really enjoyed that interview. I thought there was a lot to take away from it. You know, are you an overly generous giver? I think many of us in the promotional marketing industry suffer a little bit from being too giving and not really being willing to ask for what it is that we need in return to our own detriment. And I thought it was just really, really interesting to know that there's all of this research that's gone into this concept and that if you, like me, were interested in learning more about how to balance your gives and your asks, that you're not having to make that up on your own. There's ways for you to be able to find the research, spend some time with Dr. Baker's uh concepts and theories in actionable ways. And we're going to share some of those links here into the show notes so that you have an opportunity to visit that information, be it the infographic or the website, or maybe even buy his book. Please, if that is of any value to you, please share it around with people who you think might be interested as we continue to try to grow the listener base of the So You're In Sales podcast. The more subscribers we get, the more listens we get to the show, the more we're able to bring on high-quality guests like Dr. Baker and bring more topics of interest to the show so that you can grow and continue to improve. Thank you for your continued loyalty as we approach our 100th episode. 
We are really excited and we are very near the 20,000 listens threshold as well, which should unlock some new features for the show along the way. So thank you for your continued loyalty, your listenership, and your willingness to participate in all things selling. This is Roger signing off until next time.